Hey, all you beautiful people, and welcome to the Glorious in the Mundane podcast. I'm your host, Christy Knuckles. I trust that all you mamas had a very sweet Mother's Day. Even if things didn't turn out exactly as planned, I pray that you were able to at least pull some loved ones close and remember the sacredness that is family. I say that because a friend of mine ended up in the hospital on Mother's Day morning this year. Thankfully, everything turned out okay and she's home, but I texted her and I said, I pray that somehow you're able to see some silver linings in this day. And I kept thinking, I hope she takes going to the hospital as a huge excuse to take like the longest nap ever. (laughs) She's the mother of five, so she definitely deserves it. Well, today is actually the last episode for this spring series, but I do plan to be back in July with some Summer in the Psalms episodes. So I'll be taking the month of June to be with family as well as prepare for that upcoming series. June is a very busy month for us when it comes to celebrations. This year we have Nathan's birthday, which is a milestone birthday. I'll just leave it at that, as well as our 28th wedding anniversary can't even believe that's real. And then, of course, Father's Day. And then we have Annie Rose's 16th birthday in June, so another milestone birthday. So there's much to celebrate, and I definitely want to fully be here for it all. Today, we're going to come around a song called Christ in Me. That's on my new album, This is the Hour available everywhere you listen to music. And I think I said it a few weeks ago, but it's available on CD as well through my website, christyknuckles.com. If you're one of those people, you know, who just still want to put that disc in your car and call it a day. Those of you who still have a CD player in your car anyway. I actually love that we are coming off of the song Valor from the last episode. These two songs were originally released together in an EP titled Valor. So they've always been paired together in my mind and in my heart. After all, the song Valor does say, Jesus, your cross, your death, your resurrection life in me. You will always be my valor. It is the life of Christ in us that gives us the very strength to stand in every circumstance and trial. But even more than that, His life in us looks like our longings being fulfilled, our joy truly realized, and our deepest hopes are met in Him. There have been many beautiful songs written through the years about us being in Christ, but there are not many that I know of, actually, oddly enough, that sing of Christ in us. Both are true and worthy of song. Jesus said in John 14, 20, In that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. This speaks of union, doesn't it? It's like that envelope illustration that I've walked you through before on this podcast, and it's in my book, The Life You Long For, where we get to visualize this union with God because of Jesus, the very protection and covering that we truly have because we are in Christ, and Christ is in us, and He is in the Father. 1 Corinthians 6.17 also says, But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with Him. There's this beautiful union there. A few weeks ago, I shared with you that as I was writing this album, I kept having visions of pioneers, men and women braving the unknown with their families and their children at their side. Nathan and I watched the series called 1883 earlier that year when we were songwriting. The series follows the Dutton family as they are risking everything to find greener pastures in the Northwest. And just as an important side note here, 
as I'm talking about this, I'm not condoning this series or this show in any way. It really is so rough and the language is even rougher. And Nathan would tell you that I have a very low tolerance for rough shows, (laughs) but for some reason I knew I needed to watch it. After each episode, I'd go to bed thinking to myself, would I have survived that episode? Meaning if that were me in 1883, and if I had only what little they had to defend their livelihood, their family, would I have lasted? Would I have had what it takes through camps being raided by territorial feuds and sickness where there was absolutely no medicine, children taken out by snake bites when they're just trying to relieve themselves in the bushes? Would I have lasted? Then I would find myself thinking as I laid there, do I have what it takes now in this world that feels eerily unfamiliar and unknown, dark and confusing, and often so emotionally charged that it feels almost explosive everywhere you go? I was on a plane to Denver the afternoon that the Nashville shooting happened. I ended up texting Nathan at one point to pray because during our boarding process, Two things unfolded that were very disturbing in the moment, and the only way I knew how to describe it to him was emotionally charged. We were boarding, and most people were in their seats by this point when suddenly inside and towards the front of the plane, we hear this blood-curling scream. It actually sounded like a woman screaming and whirling her arms around, and you could hear what sounded like hand slaps on skin. I was sitting towards the front of the plane, but not close enough to the front to be able to see what was going on. But suddenly, a man who was standing right next to me in the aisle, he turns around and looks towards the front of the plane and yells as loud as he could, hey! And the whole scene was just so confusing because we were like, does he know the person who is screaming? And he's trying to calm them down. But I think just looking back, he instinctively turned and yelled, in hopes to diffuse the situation, whatever it happened to be. Well, it actually worked, FYI. As soon as everything calmed down, we were then able to see that the person screaming was a little boy, probably around the age of seven. He was still quietly crying as his mom picked him up, and she literally buried her face in his jacket because she was, I'm sure, mortified as they were making their way back towards the back of the plane. And the dad was apologizing to everyone as he made his way down the aisle. I felt so sad for them. And then only minutes later, another situation began to stir up with a passenger right behind me. Yes, Do you notice that this situation was literally happening all around me? (laughs) The woman sitting next to me, she and I kept giving each other reassuring looks like, it's okay. But then we'd quickly switch to looking at each other like, this is okay, right? (laughs) She and I were trying to piece together what was happening, but it seemed that the man sitting behind me, something had happened with his fiance, either right outside the plane, or my guess is that she was boarding a plane in another city, and maybe he was on his way to meet her, and she had the airports maybe talk to each other. But there was also this bag on board that apparently needed to be dealt with as well. So that's why it just felt confusing, because we were like, is she out there, and that's her bag, and why is he leaving her if so? (laughs) It's not funny, but apparently she had fainted because we kept hearing talk about ENTs, but we do know that she eventually was okay. We did gather that. But overall, it was like you could literally cut the tension on that plane with a knife. And on top of that, 
our flight attendant began to exude that tension. And trust me, I get it. I've done this many times, especially as a mom. We have a choice in moments like that to be a non-anxious presence. And I'd love to be able to say that I always take that route, but my goodness, in my frailty and weakness, I don't. You could feel her anxiety as her high heels pounded the floor of the plane beneath us, causing all of our seats to rumble as she would walk by. She asked the man behind me, not quietly, to exit the plane and go talk to a red coat, which that in and of itself had everyone whispering to the person right next to them, like, what's a red coat? Like, what's happening right now? She kept repeating that directive to him, but because he apparently didn't know what a red coat was either, he was confused. (laughs) This was the moment that I was texting Nathan saying, can you just please pray over this flight right now? Well, the man finally does what the attendant is asking him to do, and he's gone for a while. And then eventually he gets back on the plane and sits down quietly. Of course, this caused another round of whispering. You could feel it all around you, everyone trying to decide if this was a good or bad thing that he was back on the plane and not with his poor fiance, wherever she was. But do you feel the tension even where you're sitting right now? That's what I mean when I say the whole thing just felt charged as we took off for one of the bumpiest flights I've been on in a while, emotionally and actually quite literally. It was bumpy all the way to Denver. We are pioneers in a strange world that we ourselves have never had to navigate before. Are we brave enough to be awake for it, alert, sobered, surrendered? Do we know what the true fight even is? There's a scene that stands out to me in the series 1883 that happens on the Oklahoma-Texas border. At this point, which is episode six, more death has happened than you can even fathom. And to say that life has been brutal for the Dutton family doesn't even touch it. I think the hardest thing for me to imagine was the death of a loved one, especially a child, and having to just bury them by a creek somewhere and keep going. They literally had no choice. They were too far in at this point. They had to travel in large groups because of the constant threat of territorial raids, and they had to put their resources together to pay a cook and to even pay for protection. Several men who would act as guides to truly get their families to the destination. Well, Faith Hill's character, Margaret Dutton, decides to go into a local settlement to a trading post to get some supplies. Her daughter is with her. And at this point in the journey, everything they had known of their lives in Tennessee was fading, even their sense of dignity. At the very beginning of their expedition, the family takes a train from Tennessee to Texas, and the women were dressed in you know proper floral gowns and hats and gloves. But by episode six, Margaret's teenage daughter, Elsa, is wearing men's pants and carrying a pistol because she's having to help herd horses and hunt and protect herself from evil men who seek to harm women. Even upon arrival in the settlement that day, Elsa was met by a man talking in a filthy way towards her, and she pulls out her pistol, and she threatens to kill him. And this is like a, she's like a 16-year-old girl. And we as the audience, we know she will do it because she's had to do it before. Well, Elsa's father, played by Tim McGraw, enters the scene with his rifle to take care of the situation, and he sends Elsa back to the camp while Margaret, her mother, heads into the shop at the trading post. Well, as Margaret enters the store, 
The clerk sees the raw weariness on her face, the kind of weariness that reaches the core of who you are. And rather than sell her goods right away, the clerk offers Margaret Dutton a lemonade. Well, Margaret refuses, but then when she says, well, how about a whiskey punch? That definitely turns Margaret's head, and she takes her up on it, which at first you're thinking, okay, you know, a shot of whiskey to ease the misery and the pain. Like, take it, girl. But the two women end up drinking the entire day away together, so much that by the end of the day, Margaret is completely impaired and wasted on the porch of the trading post. Up until this point, you know, you had looked on at Margaret Dutton in disbelief as she had just kept gritting her teeth and bearing through the pain and the hardship that they were enduring as a family and a community who were all looking out for one another. But as her husband walks up on her and he sees her out of her mind drunk, you instead begin to have great compassion on her for how much she's actually grieving, that this quest that is now her life is nowhere near turning out like she thought it would. She's completely overwhelmed by the cares of life. Her husband is telling her that he's going to go study the river in order to be able to cross it with all of their wagons and belongings. And the two women just start dying laughing in his face that he's going to go study the river. Well, as the audience, you already understand and know that the river crossing is one of the most dangerous aspects of the journey. In fact, you are eyewitnesses to the fact that it is perilous and deadly. And so Margaret's drunken laughter here is just such a stark contrast to her true reality. Seeing her laugh or even smile at this point is completely foreign. And you just become so deeply saddened for her, for all that she's been through, and that her sense of rescue and relief is found in a bottle of whiskey that day, that her laughter is only possible with intoxication, so much that you get the sense that she won't even get to really enjoy the benefits of that laughter. It definitely wasn't lost on me in that moment that as women, our quality of life has certainly changed in terms of the growth of civilization, but our temptations are still one and the same. Where are we going to go to find rescue, relief, solace, and strength? As you know from the last episodes, the Lord met me last spring in a moment where raw weariness had reached my core. Yeah, I, I might not have been trailblazing on the treacherous Oregon Trail, but as you well know by now, I was deeply grieving the fact that life as I once knew it seemed to be fading away. And I know you felt that in many ways too. And the places that I was turning to for rescue and relief were just not holding up. Me trying to go small and quiet and quit what I knew good and well that I was called to do in hopes of just not having to endure the cost associated with it anymore, that was just a dead end for me. My only hope was to turn around and head back home to my father and cry out to him. And you know what? It worked. It's me. I'm still here standing in a strength that's not my own. The photo shoot for this album was very intentional, down to the last detail. In fact, be watching my Instagram account, and I'll post some behind-the-scenes pics just for y'all. 
But one of my very favorite things about being an independent artist is that I get to think outside the box when it comes to my photo shoots and album cover designs. I spent about 14 years, maybe give or take, being on record labels. And I'm so very grateful for those years, as you can imagine. Some of you might be new to the fact that my husband, Nathan, and I were called Watermark back in the day and were on a record label started by Michael W. Smith called Rockettown Records. This was our very first record deal. And looking back, we are so incredibly grateful for those early years of entering the music industry inside of what really did feel like a little family. And then my second record label experience was Six Steps Records, a record label that's run by Louis and Shelly Giglio in association with Passion Conferences. And as you can imagine, those were very exciting years to be a part of both that record label as well as the conference side of things for over 20 years. But like I said, it all paved the way for me to have what I have now, which is the freedom to call up a couple of friends and ask if they want to go traipsing around in the snow in Boulder, Colorado for a Christmas photo shoot set in the Aspens. And it prepared me to hire an artist like Lindsay Pruitt to dream with me what the cover of a lullaby album might look like. One where we both could see this image of God holding the whole world in His hands and the way that Lindsay saw that in her mind's eye and her heart and made it come to life is just stunning. And it certainly equipped me to pull together a photo shoot for This Is The Hour with my friend, my dear friend, Michelle Mitchell, who is an artist in her own right. And as I shared this vision of pioneers and trailblazers, she immediately could see it. I learned that some friends of ours own some land that backs up to the land in Texas on the Brazos River, where 1883 was filmed, including the perilous river scene that I mentioned before. My friend Lauren Chandler is part of the group of the families who own that land. And so I texted Lauren as a next step. Pretty soon it was all coming together. And before I knew it, my beautiful daughter Eliana and I were headed for Texas. Eliana came along to shoot footage alongside of Michele because Michele's awesome like that. And she even told me that if I liked any of Ellie's shots more, that I should use them. You should have seen us packing up the car from Michele's house the morning of the shoot. It definitely looked like we were packing a covered wagon for a strange and riveting journey. Upon arrival, Lauren met us at the gate of the property, and I knew right away that we had chosen just the right spot and just the right women to capture this story. The three of us braved the Texas terrain together that day, and we had the dust on our boots and teeth at the end of the day (laughs) to prove it. With everyone's help, we got so much gorgeous footage that day, including an image that had been in my mind's eye and heart from the very beginning. It's a picture of me standing in the middle of a Texas prairie, my eyes squinting, my hair ablaze in the wind. And I'm going to come back to this in a minute. The key word is wind. I wanted to be clothed in something that would be a very intentional and heartfelt nod to pioneering women, my own way of honoring the valorous women who have gone before us, blazing a trail, raising a family, holding to what is true and noble and worthy, and they did all of it in a skirt like a really long skirt. (laughs) That alone is worthy of remembrance. My jacket in the photo is a nod to the military. It's sort of that valor 
theme. It's actually a Ralph Lauren full-length coat that I bought several years ago for that Christmas shoot in the snow that I told you about earlier. And I've worn it multiple times over a ball gown for my Christmas tours as well. But the heart here was that it wasn't just a picture of me. Yes, I'm a part of it, but I also wanted it to be a picture of us, women of valor, sober and awakened to the good fight, clothed in the strength of Christ. My hair ablaze in the wind was meant to be a picture of peril, trouble, and hardship, life's storms, if you will, even a picture of standing in a moment where life doesn't look all that familiar anymore. Everything feels different, but somehow deep within you, you're finding another level of strength you didn't even know was there that was available to you. This was the story we wanted to unfold in this photo shoot. I told you earlier that I'd come back to the keyword wind. We did have a little bit of wind that day on the river, but not the kind of wind that would send my hair into a tizzy like a storm would. And this is the part again where I just find it so fun to get to do things for a photo shoot that are a little outside of the box and you don't have to ask permission to do it. <laughs> like when you go on Amazon and you buy a really powerful battery operated leaf blower and you send it to your friend so that it's ready to be loaded in the covered wagon upon your arrival to use for the photo shoot. Yes, we did. We used a powerful but portable leaf blower to attain my hair ablaze in the wind that day. And the powerful woman of valor behind that leaf blower was Mrs. Lauren Chandler herself. I'll never forget being on the floor of my closet, sending that voice text to Lauren and asking if we could use what they call the river cabin for the photo shoot. I couldn't have known that she and her husband, Matt, had been in a very dicey and distressing storm of their own. She alluded to me by text that it had been a really hard season and that she'd fully be able to tell me about it later. I voice texted her back and I began to share the vision of the entire album with her and even about these images that I wanted to capture that weren't just about me and my artistry, but I truly felt that they were to capture the resilient spirit of those who choose to stand in the strength of Christ in turbulent times. Lauren had a lot going on in that season, as I would find out later, but she texted me back and she said, come on, let's do this. Let me know when to meet you. It wasn't until the photo shoot was actually taking place that the details became fully known of what Matt and Lauren had been facing. Lauren, I'm doing a little shout out here to you. I know that sometimes you listen to these podcasts and you know that I think this of you because I really do try to tell these things to you when we're face to face, but I'm so proud of you, of how you handle adversity, of how you really do call on the strength of Christ in you for the trials that you have walked through. And goodness, your humility and kindness and your sense of adventure, you absolutely inspire me. Thank you for choosing to traipse around with us on the rocky river soil, for making it available to us, for literally driving a gator through the water to get us where we needed to go that day. <laughs> I'm so glad you were with me, and I'm glad I was with you I hope somehow it stood as a reminder to you that we have each other as women in this life. I know that not everyone gets to see behind the scenes in your life to watch you so very carefully and prayerfully handle very public things in the private and quiet. That takes a lot of integrity, and you know that I admire you for it. 
the whole day, it just, it felt like this beautiful picture to me of women of valor in this hour and how God sees us. It's as if Lauren was this picture of us women having the courage to stand alongside the men in our lives and to take territory for the kingdom of God. I love that my daughter Eliana was right beside me that day. This picture of us women raising up the next generation, even calling up in them what God has gifted them to do and inviting them into what we're doing and giving them permission to flourish in those gifts. I mentioned buying a CD earlier. Ellie actually designed the entire CD packaging, and we did use some of her photos for that. It's absolutely gorgeous, and I hope you'll get your hands on one. And of course, my friend Michelle that day, she's this beautiful picture of godly friendships in the body of Christ, women who champion each other, who speak life over each other. When one of us wants to throw in the towel, it's this picture of getting to be honest with one another and encourage each other to hold on. Michelle has done that for me, and I've gotten to do that for her. Another important element of this shoot, which was another Amazon purchase that I shipped to Michelle's house along with that leaf blower, it was the oil lantern that made it onto the cover of the album. This too is a part of that pioneer imagery. And I connect the dots in the very first song that we talked about a few weeks ago, the overture, where I say, Trim your lamps and spend all that you have on the oil that keeps your flame lit until the day that He comes. You've heard me liken the lamp or the flame to our faith in these days and the oil to the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God. We had to be very attentive to that oil lamp out on that Texas terrain. First of all, it was extremely fragile. The little chimney that covers the flame is this very thin glass, and we had to keep wrapping it up in some of my clothes to keep it from breaking as we drove around in that ATV. And by the way, that ATV was my dressing room. (laughs) And then there was just enough wind that day, real wind, that made it very difficult to light the lamp and keep it burning. It actually took all four of us standing around that tiny glass oil lamp to shield it from the wind so that we could get the flame to light and to stay lit. And yeah, keeping it lit was a whole thing in and of itself. We had to all walk very slowly, holding the lamp just right to keep the flame going. We also had to be so careful not to drop the lamp. The fields were dry. And you could imagine if I dropped that lamp, it could spread wildfire before we even knew it. All of that imagery I just shared would preach, wouldn't it? I especially love that image of the four of us huddling around the lamp that I was holding in hopes that the flame wouldn't die. It feels like this beautiful picture of a community of women, even generations of women, stair-stepping up from Ellie to Michelle and then to Lauren, who's still about seven years younger than me, and how we're meant to huddle around each other to aid each other in keeping the flame of our faith lit in this hour. A flame that could spread like wildfire (laughs) if we let it. I can't help but think of Psalm 119.105. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. I love picturing that lantern as the sacred and precious word of God as well. We've probably all been in that scenario before where we're walking in pitch dark and that verse has come to our mind. Maybe you've even walked with a little lantern or a candle and you see how it eliminates your next step 
only. It doesn't light up the path ahead or behind you, just the step right in front of you. So it's meant to be kept with us like that lantern for every step we take. And how beautiful that the New Testament reveals Jesus as the very Word of God. John 1.1, it's like one and the same with the mystery of Genesis 1.1, yet faith is like falling into that mystery and being caught by the Lord and set down on foundational truth, giving us steady and sure footing. Genesis 1, 1 through 2 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. John 1, 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 2, He was in the beginning with God. This is Jesus. Verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. His life is our light. And what does that life that is our light do? It shines through us in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. No matter what it feels like, the darkness has not overcome it. And from what I read about the end of our story, it never will. I want to end today by playing Christ in me over you. This song starts out by saying, Jesus, you're the strength that carries through. So I don't want to live a day without you. Obviously, if he's in us, we're not necessarily living a day without him, but I don't know about you. I can go through an entire day, and before I know it, I become keenly aware that I'm very unaware of his presence with me. Those are the days that I usually take on the form of that tension, anxiety, or fear of this world, and that's not who I am. That's not who we are. We have the life of God in us, and that life is the very light of men and women who choose to walk with Jesus day by day, step by step, showing that light to a broken and lost world. The lyric goes on to say, because it's your spirit moving in me, your life overflowing that changes everything I do. When we choose to call on Christ in us, it touches and changes everything we put our hands and hearts to. The chorus says this, Christ in me, my hope of glory. Christ in me, my longings filled. Christ in me, my joy forever. Christ in me, all I need. Christ in me, our hope of glory. I've said it before, this isn't just for eternity, but for the here and now. Christ in you is your hope of glory in the carpool line today or at your cubicle at work. Christ in us, our longings filled. That's a tiny sentence, but it packs a punch, doesn't it? Our longings filled changes everything about the way we engage with the world around us. It changes our mothering, our serving, our giving, our loving. 
our longings fulfilled in Jesus is how we are able to be that non-anxious presence in a dark and broken culture. Our longings fulfilled in Jesus causes us to truly see others around us for who they really are, rather than only seeing them for what they can do for us. Christ in us, our joy forever. Again, not just for eternity, but joy for now in this life. And different from happiness, true joy can rise up and surprise us even in the midst of our darkest trials. Christ in us, all we need. Do we need each other? Yes, of course. We just talked about that. But to truly come around each other, whether it be huddling around each other in protective aid or spurring one another on in the faith or even simply celebrating each other's journey, it takes Christ in us first to cover each other from a place of supernatural love and strength. I talk about this a lot in my book, how it's inevitable that our human love tank dries up eventually. Our own patience runs thin, doesn't it? Our own strength is wobbly and futile. And as we well know, there's a sense of shame that can come over us when that happens, a sense of defeat. It can cause eruptions in our relationships with others and sometimes damage that's very difficult to undo. This is why we need to call on Christ in us, even in our need and care for others. Christ in us protects and preserves friendships and families with His love, His patience, and His endless strength. The bridge says this, My shame you carried, my old ways you buried, my heart you invaded, my life you have raised up. Now you're the brightness of my eyes, my song to sing in darkest nights. You are the strength I'm standing in, my peace that no one else can give. Jesus, my firm foundation, my deepest consolation. You keep making all things new. And that's it. If there's any way to sum up the power of Christ in us, it is that He is making all things new. Revelation 21, verses 5 and 6, it says, Behold, I make all things new. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. If you'll notice, the Lord did not say, I will make all things new, or I have made all things new. No, He said, I make all things new. It's in the present tense. In Isaiah 43, He also says, Behold, I am doing a new thing. It's the present tense here. And you know that we're invited into God making all things new, even today. In fact, those of us who are in Christ, we are now intrinsically a part of God making all things new. It starts by the fact that we ourselves are new. We are a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 18. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Remember how we've visualized this together that when we believe on Jesus and His finished work on the cross and we receive His life, it's like we've been wrapped in a blanket of His righteousness and handed back to the Father, even now, to be raised up by Him in His ministry of reconciliation. Or that can be said, His ministry of making all things new and bringing it back home to His heart. And we get the joy of Jesus doing this in us and through us. 
just think about the many ways that we can be a part of this, even in the mundane. I'll talk to you soon. Jesus, you're the strength that carries through. So I don't want to live a day without you. Cause it's your spirit moving in me Your life overflowing That changes everything I do Christ in me i